Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Investigative Economics Podcast, Episode 5. This is Energy Since Enron. Uh, we're going to be talking all things energy, fuel, uh, electricity, natural gas, coal, renewables, everything in between. Um, this is a, a complicated topic. I don't know if there's any more complicated topic out there that's, I mean, outside of, you know, wavelet math or, you know, uh, quantum physics and things like that. Uh, the just energy world is just large and it's got a lot of moving parts. Uh, this almost might need to be a two-part episode. Um, we've actually even talked about one of the, the aspects of this, about uh, California and energy prices, uh, but we're going to dive into more aspects of that. Um, but there's a lot of things going on in the energy world. Uh, and to start it off, uh, and we've got a number of stories that, that touch on it, and a lot of it revolves around energy prices and fuel prices and where all that money is going. And just to sort of give an understanding of how important this is, like, you know, everybody pays their electric bill and, you know, it's not for most people, it's not ridiculously expensive or something like that. But when you think about how that's how it's scaled up and how much money is involved at the, the fuel and electricity level, you know, it's just billions and billions for every state. And we uh, combine that all up to for the whole United States. It's got to be, I don't have the numbers, but it's got to be over a trillion or something like that. Just uh, sort of revenue, uh, you know, gross revenue, that sort of thing. Money that's spent on, uh, on uh, creating energy. So very important stuff. And uh, to get back to, to the, maybe the best way to approach the whole subject is to start with a bit of a chronology, going back to the Enron crisis, that um, pr prior to the crisis, that um, as sort of, I'll give the sort of general understanding of what everybody thinks about what happened, that, you know, California deregulated its energy markets, uh, that made it rather than sort of the state setting prices and sort of it being sort of a fixed operation, they sort of allowed, you know, anybody could enter bidding, not anybody, anybody, but a lot more people could enter the bidding market to provide electricity for the state. You know, a lot of environmentalists had been pushing for this because, you know, solar energy and wind energy were quickly being developed and they wanted access to the grid. And, you know, not uh, uh, there's some details about, you know, why they couldn't get onto the grid. But, you know, the, the, there's a push to deregulate those markets. And there's a push to deregulate the markets from sort of energy bidding uh, companies that, you know, wanted the, the fluctuation in, you know, they wanted prices to be more flexible. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that in 1998, when they did deregulate the markets, they also put in a restriction that... Uh, that uh, you know the uh, the power they couldn't limit the power provided to the state uh, because of prices, and you know maybe at the time you could kind of understand where they were coming from. They didn't want people to shut off the power just because um, power was too expensive or too cheap or something like that. That you know that they wanted people to get electricity, um, not independent of what the price was. That would you know come to, to come to hurt them later as as we kind of know now that um when there's a drought california was at 2001 and just j prices for energy just shot up without a hydroelectric power providing a, a large bulk of california's electricity that all the other resources started saying well we're going to charge a lot more as well and you know a in this deregulated environment, Enron, uh, Enron wasn't the only one that had an energy trading portal, that, but they were kind of the biggest ones and that they had this online service, which was kind of a new thing. You know, internet was still pretty new back then, uh, where people could put, put in their bids to, to buy and sell electricity. Um, and that, that in uh, all the investigations that one uh, went on over Enron, they saw that the prices were, you know, that's where, that's where prices were going up all over the place. And they would, you know, find, go through this huge investigation and got a lot of attention in the news about how the markets were being manipulated to send prices higher. Um, 
and Enron was put, you know, front and center. There are books written about it. There, uh, all the emails were queried, and all the information is. You can look through every email of like every Enron employee. I don't know if it's every employee, but a lot of the employees uh, at that time, and see everything that they were saying. That uh, everything was kind of exposed about what was going on. That the accusations that they were causing brownouts. And, you know, and, you know, uh, taking advantage of little ladies in California uh, to, to, to make as much money as possible. And the book, uh, Smartest uh, Guys in the Room, gets into all of like how much money they were spending because they were jumping in on the natural gas revolution. I don't think it gets said very much about like how much it is a revolution. It doesn't get like front page news about like how much natural gas has changed that, you know, not just fracking, but just in general, uh, natural gas as uh, a fuel source in the electrical grid and everywhere else that's gotten cheaper and cheaper and more prevalent everywhere. And it has been a revolution. Just the technology development has been quite incredible. And nobody ever mentions that. And, uh, you know, not just the trading markets, but Enron was at the forefront of, you know, developing, you know, natural gas pipelines, uh, you know, I don't know how much they were actually making the pipelines, but just sort of funding it. Uh, I think they were also like developing internationally in India and things like that. Uh, and so, you know, natural gas was just becoming more and more important in uh, fuel trading at, at the same time that, you know, renewables are getting more popular. Uh, and But surrounding all of this, you know, this is... This is where, uh, you know, all of this trading is happening at Enron Online and that all these investigations find out that there's, you know, manipulation going on all over the place. And Enron's prosecuted. Uh, they eventually are, they fall into bankruptcy. A lot of it had to do with the fact that they were also trying to do this broadband trading at the same time, which is a total mess. Uh That I think was like their biggest loss, but there are also these accusations of accounting fraud and all that stuff. Not talking about that right now. We're just talking about the uh, the energy portion of it. But what a lot of people don't know about is that um, Enron wasn't the you know the you know the bet noir the 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 one that was just you know pulling all the strings. Maybe they were the uh, the bigger uh, string puller, but it was a lot of these other energy companies. I think Reliant was a big one that was uh, prosecuted for intentionally shutting down uh, uh, generation facilities to help drive prices higher and higher. And, and there's there's dozens of companies that were prosecuted for that sort of thing. Um, and that uh, I, you know, online, the investigations went on for a good decade uh, before you know settlements were reached. And it was like settlements in the millions, if not billions of dollars. And that, uh, you know, uh, there's also accusations that Enron was, you know, you know doing all this political manipulation of like, they, they're meeting with uh, George W. Bush to say, you know, uh, 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 people were pushing to have the, the, the transcripts of those meetings revealed. And Enron, you'll see in some of their discussions, will say that they actually were pushing for the, that the uh, sort of the market manipulation was actually a good thing, that they like it's good to have prices go higher as a uh, to sort of give across the the demand the, the it's there's a lot of sort of there's a there's a marketing terms for this the the, the to get the price accurate to, for what the demand is uh, I'm, I'm spacing on the name for this like the how the price is communicated to all people in the market that um, that they think that's a that's a good thing. That's a good uh, just the sort of benefits of the free market. And I've I've talked about this before, but it's it's good to uh, come back to it because you'll notice that there's like two sides to all of this. That there's this sort of very free market approach, and there's this uh, controlled market approach. Um, that it has, and that controlled market approach has sort of came uh, came back after the Enron crisis, saying that like, oh my God, this is out of control. We need to put limits uh, and all these other things that need to happen to markets uh, to get this all under control so prices aren't crazy expensive. Because what would happen is uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, whose name will come up quite a bit in this episode, um, 
fell into bankruptcy, just the amount of money that they needed to borrow to help uh, get through that crisis was just, you know, they're just uh, billions of dollars. They just didn't have it available. They would file for bankruptcy. And what would happen is they would also um, limit, uh, uh, remove the electricity price caps for consumers, that how much people were paying for their energy bill uh, on a per watt basis. They would lift those limits. And with those limits lifted, um, that would change a lot of things. And a number of the stories uh, we're, we're going to talk about are uh, about the fact that those prices have gone up a lot. Like, you know, maybe there, there was a time for a good 10, 20 years where electricity prices for the consumer just didn't change at all. And they, they should have gone up somewhat, that they should have gone up with inflation. Uh, you know, not that inflation over those years had been very much, but it probably should have gone up a little bit. But since then, and in particular states, our prices have gone up quite a bit. Um, and well, we'll jump to the most recent story. Uh, most recent couple of stories, I, I should say, is that, well, in California, prices have gone up quite, uh, maybe the most of uh, outside of Hawaii and Alaska. Uh, prices in California are just sort of continually gone up uh, since the Enron crisis. And that uh, it's sort of all the complaints about uh, how much you know prices were leading to PG&E's bankruptcy and all these burdens on the state. Uh, the, what they're paying right now for electricity is 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 like double what what it was back then. So you know, where's the outrage? People don't seem to care as much. Uh, but it's more about sort of oh, it's the market manipulation aspect of it. That, that was really enraging everybody and that Enron was making money hand over fist. And you should get into a little more detail about what happened to Enron is that, you know, they were broken up and a lot of their uh, energy trading desks were moved and uh, taken up by some of the major banks like uh, JP Morgan. And, uh, um, and, and, you know, and so a lot of what was happening is, you know, it's, it's still happening today, but not as much. And, so it depends, again, uh, sort of what you think about uh, you know, market manipulation and sort of also this divide that's also been uh, a focus of a number of investigative economic stories to keep in mind is that uh, when we talk about prices and when prices go up uh, and, and go down is like who's benefiting, you know, qui bono, um, is it the, the producer or the consumer and who should, where is that, you know, where's the, where should prices be? And, you know, a lot of this is going to sort of focus on, well, should natural gas prices actually be higher just, uh, or, you know, for, for the producers, you know, who, where's the best point? Like, I don't know, necessarily know that electricity prices, uh, for consumers being higher is necessarily the worst thing in the world. I don't know where the, the best spot is, but we're going to uh, cover all of the details uh, just so maybe everybody can make their own decision. Um, so Enron's broken up and uh, their trading desks go into all these uh, these major banks and things like that. Uh, that, you know, uh, JP Morgan has like an energy trading uh, desk that, uh, that probably some of the Enron uh, employees went to work at. Um, but so what would happen is around 2008 is that the Enron loophole would be eliminated. So that um, while, you know, all this focus on Enron online, uh, Enron online just got eliminated in 2001, the uh, Enron loophole, which was this exception for energy trading, that um, energy trading wasn't a focus of uh, the Commodities uh, Future Trading Commission, the CFTC, that they were, didn't they allowed energy trading to be done in over-the-counter markets, OTC markets, um, up through 2008. That uh, that all these other markets, if you think about like derivatives trading and things like that, that the CFTC that's their that's their focus on. That's what they enforce. But energy markets were allowed to. Um, to, to be traded without regulation on those markets. And, uh, and there's a lot of complaints that, Oh, all these, uh, oil traders, they're pushing up prices on oil and that they're making gazillions of dollars doing it. 
And uh, that's why we need to close the Enron, Enron loophole. And I think there's, you know, public push to like uh, uh, political ads and things like that uh, to get this uh, loophole changed. And uh, in 2008, when Obama takes over, uh, they, they shut down that loophole. And what you'll see is right when that happens, that um, it wasn't oil prices that were uh, taking advantage of this loophole in o- OTC markets. Oil markets kept going. They, they didn't even, they, there's no discernible change uh, that happened in 2008 to oil markets, oil prices, anything like that. Um, they kept going up, but natural gas, that would collapse. And, you know, this is, you know, my interpretation of it, but is that that they were using the OTC markets to trade natural gas um, and they were, there was some, probably some uh, intentionally pushing up of prices and that when the CFTC is able to uh, police those markets, that uh, all that, a lot of that trading shut down because it would, it would cross CFTC rules. And again, this comes back to like, whether you think that sort of, sort of allowing uh, some, this kind of low level, this mutual market manipulation to push prices higher is okay, or is that just like um, fleecing everybody and, and taking advantage of it? It's not fair. Um, but natural gas prices collapse. And so what would happen there is that uh, as natural gas prices collapse, and that 2008 is like when natural gas prices just, they had been going up and up and up. You know, they had like uh, effectively tripled over the last uh, decade there. And that, that that was the peak of natural gas prices. They they collapse, and so what happens is that um, electricity prices at this point are following natural gas prices. That uh, you probably heard this uh, more and more is that natural gas has now become the the major fuel source for electricity generation. Again, the natural gas revolution just has sort of taken over. That there's just so much of it. Uh, fracking and all these uh, other, it's in an international uh, fuel source at this point. Uh, it's, it's being developed in all other, a million other places. Um, uh, in, uh, I think Germany does some fracking. Uh, United Arab Emirates does, you know, fracking, Qatar. Um, and that it's just coming from all uh, over the place. And that uh, it's, it's, you know, it is what drives electricity prices. That coal, while coal is still a huge source of uh, electricity generation for uh, the majority of the country, it's still around like like almost fifty percent, somewhere in there. It depends on what year and, and all these things. But coal prices are constant up until uh, there's some recent pandemic and trade stuff that's happening. But in general, it's been slow and steady. It's been uh, steady eddy, um, and same for like nuclear electricity prices and some other ones. Um, but natural gas prices are more volatile and that electricity prices follow natural gas prices. And that uh, when the prices were going up and up and up, uh, electricity prices were going up and up. Um, and a lot of that also had to do with the fact that uh, all these states uh, eliminated their um, their price caps on electricity, that uh, uh, different price caps, that they're allowing prices to go up you know, they've been fixed for consumers for a long time. Uh, and so they're allowing prices to go higher and higher. But after the Enron uh, loophole is closed, prices, natural gas prices collapse. And for certain places, natural gas prices uh, stop, but not for uh, a number of other ones. California uh, c- keeps going up. Massachusetts keeps going up. A lot, all of New England, the prices keep going up. Alaska keeps going up. Hawaii keeps going. Prices keep going up. Um, and the general, uh, you know, there's a lot of detail in this, uh, but it's it's all related to a lot of it is related to natural gas uh, prices. That Hawaii, it's with it's still really expensive to get. Uh, natural gas to Hawaii, that it doesn't have, it's not producing it, it locally. It has to have like a ship come over and, 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 and bring it. Same for Alaska doesn't have that much production. Um, 
But, you know, for places like Texas, Texas natural gas prices, it has a lot of natural gas and a lot of natural gas pipelines. And they're able to, um, uh, when natural gas prices collapse, they, uh, they are able to lower their electricity prices for people in the state of Texas. And the same goes for like a lot of these other places near production areas, you know, Louisiana, Arkansas, uh, New Mexico. Um, but uh, the... And there, but there's something more complicated going on that it's not saying like California has a lot of a decent amount of natural gas. They may not have a ton of pipelines like Texas does, but they still have plenty of natural gas and their price, their electricity prices keep going up. And I mean, there gets, that gets into California is such a unique beast that uh, in so many different ways that, you know, they're having to pay, they're going to be continuing to pay a lot of money for uh, the recent fires that and they they uh, they had to fall into bankruptcy. What's uh, the Pacific Gas and Electric has filed for bankruptcy again? Found the like there's like four fires in a row, and that uh, all the insurance claims against them that they weren't taking care of their distribution lines, um, and that's almost that's almost like three separate stories by itself because it's like. It's all very crazy to have that many fires all in a row. Um, it all gets blamed on PG&E. Um, all these hedge funds that bought up the insurance claims really cheaply, and then uh, they're actually getting paid out. Like, you know, it's, I, I think it's like something like ten billion dollars because they were able to buy up the insurance claims and get uh, the state of California to um, give them like uh, twice as much as they were as they paid for those insurance claims how those, these hedge funds do that sort of thing. I, I don't know how they, um, you know, how they uh, convince, uh, convince such a high payout for, for um, PG&E like that. Um, they're making tons of money. And so all that money that uh, Californians are paying in electric uh, prices is going to go to the uh, paying out these insurance claims, paying out these hedge funds. Uh, so it's not like they're still getting gas cheap. Um uh, I mean, whether, and, it, and that gets into another, a lot of details about uh, New England as well, is that uh, if you look at uh, the annual reports for um, some of these uh, uh, these uh, power companies, uh, like Eversource is a big one in Massachusetts, about like, are you know, their, their prices are still going sky high. Uh, Massachusetts pays like a ridiculous amount for electricity, and they're trying to push for this... Uh, uh, this transmission line to come from Canada to get all the hydroelectric power. Um, you're like, oh, geez, because they don't have enough pipelines going to Massachusetts. But, and they don't have many pipelines going into Massachusetts. There's been all these, you know, protests to stop the pipelines um, up and down the East Coast uh, and, and Massachusetts as well. And, you know, they had to get uh, natural gas from Russia back in, uh, was it? 2018 when they're running out and they're hit hard by the uh, polar vortex, um, you know, that massive cold front in 2014 and just the amount of money paid for fuel in 2014 is just off the charts because, you know, when, uh, when it's cold, not only are, do they need natural gas for electricity, they need it for heating homes. So uh, if they haven't provisioned the right amount of natural gas purchases ahead of time, they're, they're going to pay through the nose by paying on the spot markets, which is just like sort of the, like they have to buy it right then rather than paying for it, you know, a month in advance or something like that. And spot markets, that's where prices really jump high. And you can see prices go, you know, a thousand, uh, a thousand times higher than what they usually are. Um, and it's, ma it's mainly a natural gas thing that, uh, you know, once the other story, a couple of stories we had on this is that sort of natural gas is spiky, uh, not just in sort of like an annual way of like, oh, it goes up and it goes down as opposed to coal, which is like, you know, almost the same price per load of coal every year. Natural gas uh, even like is very like situation dependent. That's, you know, if there is somebody, if a fuel generator doesn't have enough natural gas for what they need, uh, for what they're contracted to, to provide or, or, uh, or some other situation, uh, like a, a weather situation or something like that, that 
and they have to buy natural gas immediately, it can go 10, 10, 20, 30, 40 times the price when you buy it on the spot market. Um, there's also uh, questions about, I mean, a lot of this has to do with the fact that you can't store natural gas on site like you do uh, uranium or coal, that uh, natural gas has to be delivered sort of at the moment uh, as needed. It, there's not much uh, way for storage. Like you, it's, it's volatile. I mean, there are ways, there, there's people who sort of plan around these sorts of things about how do you store that much natural gas safely. Um, but mainly you rely on the pipelines uh, and that they, they generate the, the energy as needed. Um, it's like right in time generation. And that, um, and that that causes those, those price spikes. That, um, that if, you, if you don't have the energy, uh, the, the natural gas, the methane ready to generate right then and there, you got to buy it. You got to run out and throw some money at it to make sure you provide that, uh, that, that generation uh, as needed. And um, well, we'll come back to like what that's all about. But so Massachusetts sees a lot of that, uh, considering that you know it gets really cold there. All of New England essentially sees a lot of that. And they're trying to get electricity from all these other sources. But if you look into and look into their annual reports, for like EverSource, the natural gas prices that they're paying keep getting cheaper. Uh, the question is like where where why where the where's the money going uh, that the money that they're spending on power generation is going up and up and up, but it's not being spent on natural gas, at least not by themselves. They might be contracting with somebody else to provide that energy, but we don't know where that, where that's going. That's somebody, the, the details, at least maybe I don't know of those details. It'd be good to find out. There might be some other companies uh, in a report that might be, uh, might shed some light on it. Um. So it's not just, you know, pipeline accessibility, um, but it is, pipeline accessibility is in there, but, you know, it, there's there's a lot of other things going on there. And that uh, despite natural gas prices being so, so cheap, uh, that there's a lot of money still being spent on energy generation, even though, and it, it's like the, the correlation between natural gas prices and electric, electricity prices are very uh, tightly knit like it's it's just because and it, it's not just because natural gas is a, a major generating source these days but it's just sort of like well if everything else is kind of flat then the one thing that's substantial that's you know spiky is going to cause spikes uh if that makes any sense um so but what's interesting to get at is there's a lot more going on under the hood when you go into um, what's happening with energy markets about about these prices and capacity and you know being able to always have the, have the lights on, uh, that the energy markets are incredibly complicated. Um, that because of a lot of these issues with not just the you know accusations of manipulation and energy generators intentionally shutting down, but hurricanes in the Gulf. Uh, they always shut down. Um, they'll shut down natural gas production because um, that uh, that if there's a hurricane going through a natural gas uh, produ uh, uh, production station, that uh, you know the people, nobody can work there. The whole the pipelines shut down, and so anywhere anybody getting those pipelines. And the, you know, a lot of these you know production facilities are in the in the Gulf uh, in Louisiana. Uh, and you know East Texas or you know Houston, um, that's where sometimes some big hurricanes hit, and um, and they'll shut down those those pipelines, and uh, all those producers need to get uh, natural gas or another source of fuel someplace else. And so NERC and FERC and uh, it's mainly NERC uh, was looking into a lot of you know the resiliency, and resiliency is this new kind of new term that people are finding out about. It's sort of come into popular culture in general that, you know, we know what reliability is, you know, something is reliable that, you know, pretty much 99% of the time you go to it, it works, you know, and, you know, the light turns on, it's reliable. Uh, resiliency is sort of the inverse of that. It's sort of like, um, you know, can something sustain, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, an out of, 
a black swan event, you know, a very unique event that sort of, that, uh, that throws it, uh, throw things for a loop, you know, and hurricanes are a good example of one that uh, natural gas is quite reliable. You can get uh, natural gas, you know, it's powering the grid, a huge amount of the grid all the time. Uh, But when something kind of major happens, like a hurricane, it is not particularly resilient to that, that it like it can shut down. Uh, and there's, a, you know, everything, you know, nothing's 100% resilient, probably. Uh, uh, you know, you know, if there's a, a nuclear war, there's a lot of things, everything's going to shut down, you know, that sort of thing. But um, good term to, to know about because, you know, NERC, um, National Energy, <laughs> it's, it's sort of a government uh adjacent uh, organization that sort of uh, sort of investigates and you know writes up reports on energy reliability the grid uh, all things related to that they put out a number of reports saying that you know there are these resiliency and reliability concerns that are growing uh, for these sorts of things that uh, and natural gas is sort of like the, a big driver of it but there are a lot of other things. And then it gets into also, you know, uh, renewables um, and that renewables coming onto the grid are, um, they're, they, they are intermittent a lot of times. I mean, it, there's a lot of details to, to say they're intermittent is, but it's like, you know, solar is not working on working at night Wind farms don't work when the wind doesn't blow. Um, and uh, solar doesn't work when there's snow on top of them. So, uh, that, uh, but with them coming onto the grid, that you know, it's more complicated to provide electricity to work around those these unique situations when there's no sun, when there's high demand, when there's a hurricane uh, knocking out natural gas facilities, when there's uh, uh, when there's price spikes, um, and when there's no wind, and so, uh, and this is where it starts to get really complicated. Is that all of these uh, the RTOs, the regional transmission um, operators, um, which are these organizations that sort of, you know, combine all of the, the the transmission and the generation, sort of like they're almost like committees that sort of coordinate the markets, the bidding markets for electricity, uh, because a lot of times you know, a generator will be in one state, uh, like in New England, you know, it's I. It, um, ISO in New England, you know, works for Maine and Massachusetts and Vermont, and New Hampshire, because you might have a, gener- a generator that's in New Hampshire, but providing for Vermont and vice versa. So it's like it covers these regions that are uh, that um, are sort of closely knit. There's what MISO is the one for the Midwest. Um, PJM is the one for the Mid-Atlantic. Um, there's not exactly a regional, uh, an RTO for the, for the South, but there's a, a SJM, hopefully I'm getting these, these right. Uh, they, co- they coordinate some of the market stuff. Each one does a certain amount of things that the other ones don't do, and they all do it a little bit differently. ERCOT is the one for Texas. Um, uh, CAISO, I don't know how you, it's C-A-I-S-O, California ISO is the one for California. And, um, you know, each one has started to sort of be more involved in energy markets as they're getting more complicated. And what a lot of them have been doing is setting up capacity markets, uh, uh, which are markets like for to say that I'm going to bid on to provide electricity and that I'm going to say that I'm definitely providing that electricity. I can't not provide it because... I don't want to, or prices are too high or too low, or you know something got shut down. If if I'm not able to provide it, like I wasn't able to get uh, the coal or the gas, or and I get fined for it. So it's not it's a little more a little different from a regular bidding market in that sense. That there's there's fines for not being able to deliver the contract. But there's a million other things. There's uplift costs to help uh, for uh, providers. I think a lot a lot of times it's like for coal providers that that they, if they need a they haven't been operating. They need to do a, a, a start out of nowhere. They, they get uh, additional benefits. Uh, they're paid through the RTO to help them pay for those costs because it's not part of their like fuel costs. Um, 
uh, it's all meant to sort of like have actually a, like a true market that actually benefit that sort of weights uh, the cost of providing this energy accurately, um, which is you know totally reasonable. It's it gets very complicated very quickly. If you look through um, like these PJM reports for that they do annually for just like all of the uh, moving parts of their markets, it's it's a lot and it's like advanced statistics stuff and it's 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 hard to get your head around a lot of it. Um, but a lot, you know, and a lot of it is to sort of, you know, to incorporate renewables onto the market and uh, and as and natural gas issues as well the, to address all of these reliability and uh, and resiliency concerns. But and I should say something about like renewables. Renewables get a lot of flack that um, that they're getting all of these subsidies and that otherwise, uh, you know, that otherwise they shouldn't be on the grid because they wouldn't be sustainable. Uh, if you had to pay just the real price for solar power, um, it would be much more expensive. And, it, you know, a lot of these um, sort of the market subsidies at the maybe RTO level, but a lot of them are coming from the state level. You know, and there's a lot of that that's going on there that's complicated that, you know, there's uh, you know, carbon offsets that they make money from to like people give them money to sort of offset the carbon that they produce. Um, there's renewable energy credits, um, also called RECs or, or renewable, renewable energy certificates. It's like a certificate when uh, uh, somebody generates renewable energy, they create a certificate that says, I made this many megawatts of energy. Um, and then they can sell that for people who need to prove that they've generated uh, renewable energy because a lot of states are having renewable energy portfolios. And then there's uh, other subsidies like the, the production tax credit for wind, uh, building a wind uh, facility, and that there's a lot of accusations. And these are not like you don't see these in uh, major sources, but they're like there's this guy. He was like a Heartland Institute guy. I'm, I'm not certain about that, but he's a sort of a retired academic who's doing these uh, PowerPoint presentations, saying that you know, um, you know, look at the science. Renewables are not sustainable, and um, but according to uh, Energy Information Administration (EIA), which is, I mean, I, I think they're very reliable. This is a government agency that. No, that uh, renewable energy prices for generation are just going getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. That's um, that's and it's the technology that's driving it. Just wind uh, generators, uh, wind farms are getting cheaper to produce. Solar pa panels are getting cheaper to produce. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot of, on those in, in investigative economics. Is we've talked a lot about the solar panels. A lot of them coming from China uh, is the big issue there. Um, but I mean, even the, the domestic ones are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and that a lot of the, some of the subsidies are disappearing and that while the, there probably, there might've been a time when, uh, renewables weren't, uh, that, that year were not sustainable without the, all these credits and tax credits and subsidies, but, um, that's disappeared that a lot of the subsidies were there to sort of like to get it off the floor and, and, um, uh, get the technology moving because they could see that in the future the technology would improve quite a bit, and that they, they would get to this point that now that and they do it by EIA. Uh, uh, how, well, uh, there's this general term called levelized cost of electricity (LCOE). That that is an estimated cost to pro for a, a producer, a, a generator, a fuel generator to produce electricity that takes into account the, like the startup costs, the con construction costs to build a wind farm. Um, Cause it like to operate a wind farm on a daily basis might be relatively cheap uh, that you just need to have, you know, minor repairs, maybe make sure um, uh, maybe there's some switching involved and things like that. But in general, it's, it's kind of low, not labor intensive and not a lot needs to be done. Um, maybe there's not a lot that I'm not thinking of there. Um, but the price to, to build the wind farm 
uh, might be pretty expensive. And so you sort of take those those construction costs and you sort of spread them out through like maybe the lifetime of the wind farm. And how so there's also a question about how long the wind farm will last for before it needs its uh, you know mechanically uh, unsound that sort of thing. So um, and so the by the LCOE, which is a, a good metric to go by. Uh, renewables have gotten very, very cheap. Uh, they've it's it's like almost a third of what they were uh, 15 years ago, uh, and that's for solar and wind. Um, and that they're not now much cheaper than uh, a lot of other fuels. It's not not much cheaper. I should I should take that back. It's like uh, by LCOE, uh, this is only like 10 to 20 dollars per megawatt hour cheaper than um, the standard natural gas. But what uh, what's mentioned in EIA reports is that um, uh, that that uh, that uh, you could see you can see that while the, the the sort of like standard price of of wind is cheaper than natural gas, there are also prices uh, LCOE uh, prices for sort of these these peak maximum prices, um, and when you think about like natural gas when it's uh, the um, uh, there's the combined cycle natural gas, which is the standard natural gas used, but there's the, the peak load natural gas generation, the turbines, uh, and the price to use those. And that's like sort of why another reason why natural gas is very spiky in terms when at peak demand and when there's um, uh, prices are uh, demand is at its, its highest is that, you know, the, these turbines, the, that other way of producing natural gas is much more expensive. And that at these uh, peak generation prices, um, uh, wind doesn't change its price uh, a lot, and, and neither does solar. The maximum price tops out at like sixty dollars me- uh, per megawatt hour, whereas um, maximum price for natural gas, uh, and that this is we're talking the LCOE uh, prices here, not just the market prices, but just all, uh, the price to provide the electricity with all of the, the startup costs involved. It's um, the wind maxes out at $60. Well, it's like the natural gas one can be like 120 if, if not more. Um, and what the EIA mentions in it is that, uh, uh, that, that there are some people that are, they're making power purchase agreements from wind generating units, even though, but not bidding on the markets for them. So that they get, uh, they bid in the markets for the natural ga- with natural gas prices, which are much higher. But then they use the wind energy uh, uh, to provide it, which is much cheaper. So they essentially make that huge spread uh, between uh, the wind price and the natural gas market price, which can be a lot. If it's at the peak load, doesn't even have to be at peak load. They're still making. Uh, um, uh, a, a, a decent amount, even at like sort of normal load, it's still like ten to twenty dollars per megawatt hour. Uh, wind is ten to twenty dollars cheaper per megawatt hour than natural gas at that at, at regular rates at the sort of weighted average uh, value. Um, and you're sort of, if you think about like, well, you know, why doesn't uh, if those wind generators, if they, why don't they bid in these auctions? And I. Trying to find some more detail about this, but my general understanding is that they, they can't. That they don't know when the wind's going to blow. If they bid in the market cheaper than everybody else, it's sort of like the, what that's called the day ahead rate the, for the next day's energy. Say, oh, we'll provide energy tomorrow at a cheaper rate than everybody else. And if the wind stops blowing, if there's a solar place, if the they get cloud cover. Um, they need to find that electricity someplace else. They are going to get fined uh, through a capacity market uh, situation or some other sort of cost, uh, that sort of thing. Or they need to find, a, you know, pay for somebody who's going to provide natural gas generation on the spot market. They are going to lose money in that operation. But if somebody's bidding, they're a natural gas provider, and they bid, and they can find wind energy that at the time. Uh, they just have to see at the moment to see like, oh, is the is the wind blowing? Is the sun shining? And then they say, oh, we'll we'll use this cheaper electricity right here, and we'll make up the difference. And if the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, they're still just paying their the the price they bid on 
um, and they can provide the natural gas as they have it. Um, that's my sort of assumption of what's going on there. Uh, uh, there there's, could be a, a lot of other complicating factors, and uh, like a lot of these bidding markets are get very complicated. Um, I mean, in general, if you look at wholesale markets, uh, this is not the ICE, uh, ICE uh, trading markets for wholesale electricity. That's where generally a lot of the, the bids are made. Uh, again, that they follow natural gas prices. That uh, that um, there are a lot of accusations that you know renewables were able to undermine the market uh, because of all these subsidies that they can bid at negative values or zero, and therefore they still make money, but nobody else can compete with them. Um, but general, that's not true. I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, the data, there's not that many times when anybody's bidding. It has happened, but uh, it's infrequent. And if you look, like the trend is still to follow natural gas prices. It's not like, oh, they're pushing prices below what natural gas is. No, it's it's like following it to the letter. If natural gas prices go up, the 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 lowest bid, the, the median lowest bid for that day, uh, is is going to follow that of is going to be akin to what natural gas prices were. Um, I mean, there might be certain day auctions or something like that where a renewable wins out with a negative bid uh, because of various reasons, but it's it, the data doesn't show it being that common to to make it a trend to skew markets like that. Um, that. Uh, and when I say the median, that's a funny term to say the median lowest, uh, you know, I'm talking sort of like uh, there might be one day in one market, like say PGMs, you know, a bidding market where somebody bid the lowest bid is negative $10. Um, and that's, uh, that, that might, the, the average, uh, for that, that day will still fall natural gas prices. And, um, and the, and when I say this, so for that that market in that day, that might be the a, a negative uh, low bid. But when you sort of like aggregate it over like a week or a month, um, it, it disappears. The the median of lowest bids, median lowest bids, uh, median lowest daily bids, um, still tracks with natural gas prices. Um, that natural gas prices are the main driver. There might be somebody might win an auction here and there. But it's not. Uh, uh, it would actually be interesting to go into like a full. That'd be a, a full statistical analysis to show, you know, how uh, how low these negative or zero prices or super low prices aren't really skewing the price. Um, it's it would it, we've got some basic statistics in the story, but it, there's a lot more that could be added there uh, to make it to really uh, show the argument. But so getting back to all of it is that like, you know, you've got these markets getting uh, more complicated, a lot more things happening, a lot more chances for like spreads and things like that. And that uh, and I, I would say that, er, you know, ERCOT still goes by sort of the Enron model of sort of a free market. They don't have capacity markets. They just have they allow prices to go up and down just in, with demand they they have no i think they have still have no price caps so and their idea is you know the, uh, what ken lay was trying to sell was that you know that uh that it's it's fine to let these prices go higher that it, it gives it gives this um it communicates the price to all the interested parties so that people jump in to provide that electricity because oh if, if prices are thousand dollars per megawatt hour i can bid nine hundred dollars and i'll still make a ton of money and that'll push the prices lower um you know you kind of wonder like well what what stops them from sort of coordinating and all saying well nobody hey nobody bid nine hundred dollars let's keep it at a thousand and i will say that um they're the one state where that is actually lowered their electricity prices since natural gas prices declined following the closure of the Enron loophole. Um, 
I think maybe Louisiana did a little bit, um, but in general, there and there are other places that I mentioned before that have have kept their prices lower uh, rel- relative to inflation, but almost none of them lowered their prices. Like um, it, it probably is fine to, to raise their prices just a little bit to keep in line with inflation, um, but uh, but yeah, that uh, they're one of the few that actually substantially lowered their prices, electricity prices. That they're, they're I guess they kind of stick by their word that you know not just for natural gas prices, but for electricity prices that they sort of track with what the market is doing, um, which I, I think is interesting. I mean, I don't know if like you know how. It's hard to sort of like take a a full objective view of it all to say that like, oh, it's it's good that, you know, consumers are paying less in electricity prices. Maybe nobody's really noticing it. Um, But I think like if if you're a state that's also dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of debt uh, for whatever reason uh, coming out of the financial crisis and maybe consumers are not noticing, you know, like a five to ten dollar increase in their electricity bill. Uh, over the past few years, but um, but that you know states are drowning in debt for some other reason, and they're sort of like, well, all these you know energy traders are making tons of money. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> why are we allowing electricity prices to go up? I, you know what? I, I, I'll cut myself. I, I don't know how to. It's it, it does seem a little wrong for California's prices just keep going up despite natural gas prices being so low. And that it, and we talked about this in the California episode. That um, that there's California has continues to get more and more expensive, um, and it's not just you know energy and electricity, um, but there are a lot of things going on there. And uh, you know, if I was a California resident, I might uh, take a front at it that you know they're going to be paying for a lot of. A lot of things going into through PG&E and out to the insurance claims and all these other things. And and some of the, those insurance claims, I mean, if you had your house burned down and it was because of a power line, I'd, I'd also be pretty upset too. But there's a lot going on under the hood. Might need to have another episode about this, but uh, um, but it's a lot to cover. And uh, take a look at some of the stories to find some of the other details I didn't cover today. And uh, hope you enjoy.